amazed at the love of God. You just ought to be. And uh, boy, just singing those words and just reading them, and uh, what a what a blessing to sing. Uh, there's, those, there's so many of those songs. I'm telling you, they got such powerful, powerful words, and uh, they just carry such meaning. What a blessing uh, to sing those songs. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter number 13. Romans chapter number 13. And as you're turning there, uh, before I get into the message, I wanted to mention this. Uh, about uh, next Sunday, because we're looking forward to a, a big Sunday. Easter is typically a big Sunday, and, and, uh, and I don't know, you know, what it will be like. I, the, obviously, the past couple of years, things have changed tremendously with COVID and all of that, so I don't know how things will be, uh, but I'm praying that God will provide visitors. And, and we're working so that God will provide visitors. And uh, we, we went out and hit streets yesterday. We sent letters yesterday. I went out on Tuesday and hit streets. And I'm going to probably go out this week and hit more streets. And uh, just trying to get uh, the gospel out and get invites out. And we're pushing. And so with all of that being said, um, you being our, our church folks, okay, that are here, uh, if you would help us out next week. Uh, if you see a visitor, uh, it'd be great if, one, you could introduce yourself, just say, hey, I'm glad to see you, uh, just, a, just a friendliness. But then, two, if you could get a, a visitor card, maybe have one or two in your Bible, and if you run into a visitor, uh, just, just say, hey, have you got one of these? If you would do us a favor and fill that out and drop it in the offering. Uh, when we have visitors, I try to do that, uh, but I'm anticipating more visitors than I can get to next Sunday morning. And so if you are going to be in here and you're not teaching a class, uh, if you could help me out with that, that would be wonderful. Uh, don't hound them. We don't want to hound people. We don't want to be, uh, hey, fill that out. Here, here's a pen. Here, what's your name? What's your address? I mean, don't, don't go to that extreme. But uh, just be kind and give them a card and, and just encourage them to fill that out and, and drop it in the offering. And if they don't, they don't. Some people just don't want to do those things, and that's okay. Um, but, but it will help us if we have visitor cards on them. We can follow up with a letter. We can follow up and just kind of uh, with a postcard or, you know, just, just to let them know that we appreciate them visiting our church. And so if you could help me with that next Sunday morning, that would be a huge blessing and a help. And we'll encourage them when they sit down in their pew, grab the pew uh, card in front of you. But, you know, as a visitor, they're like, what pew card? There's, a, there's an envelope, there's a prayer card, there's a pew card. There. And so uh, if somebody just hands them one and asks them to fill it out, that would be a help. So if you could help me with that, I would greatly appreciate it. All right? End of commercial. Back to Romans chapter number 13. Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 1 Let's just start there, and then we'll get into our, our outline and our, our introduction and all of that. But let's go ahead and read the text. Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. 
For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil, upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this, for, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their do, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you again for the privilege that we have to gather in your house around your word. God, I pray that you would just uh, bless our service. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would uh, bless and encourage each and every person that's here, each and every person that's listening. And Father, we'll thank you for that. And God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, um, there, are, there are some that would like to take that passage and completely separate it from the rest of the passages of the Apostle Paul's teaching. And to separate it and pull it right out and say, well, it's, you know, it, it applies to something different or the Apostle Paul was going a different direction. Uh, but really, I think it flows very well. We've been going through the book of Romans and Romans 12, we looked at uh, the body of Christ. We looked at the body of believers and interacting together and working with one another. And then Paul goes through a great list of, of teaching Christians how to live with Christians and, uh, and how we ought to treat one another. And then towards the end of chapter 12, he really deals with how Christians ought to live in a world that is against Christians. In other words, hey, that people would, uh, would go against us or not like us because we are Christians. And we saw all of that last week. And so this week, it's just complementary to all of that. And not that how we should live amongst Christians or not how we should live amongst the lost, but how we should live and interact with the state and our government that is over top of us. And it's a very important piece of Scripture. And uh, as we look at it, uh, as we've looked at the book of Romans, we understand and we notice that in the church at Rome, there were, uh, there were Jewish Christians as well as Gentile Christians. That's one of the things Paul has dealt with a lot uh, throughout the book of Romans. And if you haven't figured it out, the Jewish mindset is far different than that of the American mindset. Um, and, and maybe uh, maybe you have a hard time understanding that uh, because... I'll be honest with you, when I was a teenager and I went off to Peru, I was, at a, I was taking a missions trip and, and they got down there and, and uh, or I got down there rather and they started asking me, what's your culture like? And I'm like, I don't, how am I supposed to define my culture? I had no idea because I really didn't, well, for one, I was a teenager and most teenagers, man, their brain cells just don't start connecting. Sorry, teenagers. Um, but uh, they don't always connect, you know, and, and I was like, man, that's a deep question. I don't know the answer to that. And, and, uh, and really, it took me a while and the longer I was there and I saw and I witnessed and I realized, well, this is the culture of Peru. This is how they, th things are done here in Peru. And I started to recognize, oh, that's, that's different. We don't do things that way. 
Um, and, and so I started to be able to define what our culture was because I compared it to another culture. In America, we kind, of are, we kind of carry our own culture and we're a very big country. And so we don't rub shoulders a lot with a lot of other cultures. Um, but within, our, within America, we do have some cultural uh, diversity. If you go down south, things are different. They're just not the same. Uh, everyone asks you if you want Coke. And, uh, and you say, well, what? Uh, you say, well, yeah. And they say, well, what kind of Coke? Do you want, uh, do you want uh, grape Coke? Do you want uh, uh, Dr. Pepper Coke or Sprite Coke? And I'm like, wait a minute, those aren't all Cokes. I mean, they're different. And, uh, but that's just the way they call everything pop as a Coke down south. And so, uh, you know, there's differences, but sometimes we have a hard time defining them. But within the church in Rome, boy, they, they brush shoulders day to day with the Jewish culture. And so they, they were very aware of the Jewish culture. And one of the reasons I think that Paul would include this in his text is because of some of the Jewish Christians. I didn't realize this. and a matter of fact, I learned this in studying this passage and looking at this. But uh, the Jews, obviously, they, we have a window into their culture by reading the Old Testament. And there, a lot of their culture is derived from the laws of God. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 17 and verse 15, you can jot it down or you can turn back there if you're quick. But uh, Deuteronomy 17, 15 says this, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. It goes on, One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. And, and so, and looking at that and realizing, wait a minute, for a Jew, they were to set a king over them who was a Jew. And if, if somebody was not a Jew, they were not to set that person as their king over top of them. The Jews throughout history have really been known as, as problematic people when they, are, when they are under other cultures or when they're under other uh, reigns in other kingdoms. You think of the time of, of Jesus' day. In Palestine, in Rome, uh, the Roman government was over top of them. And the Jewish people, really, they didn't, they did, that didn't go well for them. Um, and it kind of made sense to me because one of the, uh, one of the um, rulers there in Rome, and I forget which one, uh, was actually part Jewish, if I'm not mistaken, or married to a Jew. And maybe that made it set a little bit better with the Jewish people. But they were, in their mind, their thinking was, it is sin to have any other person rule over top of us that is not a Jew. And so when other countries would come in and take over the Jewish people, uh, they did not comply with those countries. They were probably some of the worst citizens of those countries because in their mind, it was sin against God to put some other uh, heathen Gentile person over top of them. And so understanding that, that is one of the, uh, the, the reasons. As a matter of fact, the, the New Testament, you think about this, the question that was asked Jesus when he was here on the earth, uh, one of the, the people that came to him said, is it lawful to give tribute to, unto Caesar or not? Why was he asking that? Because in the Jewish mind, hey, they had unlawful people that were ruling over them and it was a sin against God. So in their mind, it didn't set well. 
and to pay tribute to Caesar did not set well with them. Uh, and, and you think about this, when Jesus came uh, and, and they, they did, he very clearly made it known unto them, I am the Lord. You don't think so? You go back and you look at how many times the Pharisees wanted to stone Jesus Christ. Why? Because of blasphemy. In their mind, he was proclaiming to be the Christ, and that was blasphemous, but it was not because, of course, he was Jesus Christ. But they, they didn't understand uh, how he could come to this world and not topple the government and set himself up as king because in their minds, it was sin to have a Gentile king over top of them. And so when we read this in Romans chapter 13, understand that, that Paul is uh, addressing this idea of a nation and of a government for the Jewish Christians that were there in Rome, but not just for the Jewish Christians. It was also for the Gentile people. I've run into a fair share, uh, my fair share of Christians uh, who, who have thought and felt it is not right to pay taxes. Matter of fact, uh, to do anything uh, is as it would pertain to government. And I scratch my head and I'm thinking, well, what does that, how does that come about? But really, they think this is kind of some of their line of reasoning is that, well, we're citizens of heaven. And if we're citizens of heaven, therefore, we're not required uh, to be a citizen of our country or, or to fall under those guidelines because our citizenship is in heaven. And, uh, and so they kind of run with that, and there's, I'm sure there's other reasoning, but nonetheless, we find in Romans chapter number 13 that Paul is addressing this idea that, that, uh, that, hey, we don't have to be subject to our government, that we don't have to fall in line with the rules and the regulations that are made. And we find here in verse number 1 and 2, it's very clear, verse number 1 is very clear, the Bible says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And so the first thing that we notice in these verses is that the, uh, the powers are ordained of God. And God advocates government. He notice, notice he says there in the very beginning, let every soul. He doesn't give exception there. He doesn't give exclusion there. Uh, he's saying, hey, Gentile, heathen, Jew, lost person, saved person, it doesn't matter. There's no difference, but we are all to be subject unto the higher powers. And so, listen, Christians should be some of the best citizens of the land. Uh, we ought not be rebel rousers. We ought not be known. It, it kind of bothers me, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm not big on talking about people or things, uh, but, but there are some Baptist people who are known to be rebel rousers. That bothers me. Um, it just doesn't set well with me. Why? Because we're not, we're not called to be rebel rousers. We're not called to go out and, and, and try and uh, cause all kinds of ruckus and, and uprises and, and, and problems in government. We are called to be good citizens in the country because God has ordained and God advocates government. Now, that being said, man, I praise the Lord we live in America. Uh, you, you may not understand or realize how truly good we have it here. We have the freedom to open our doors, to put out flyers, 
to put it on the internet that we are preaching the word of God, that we are singing and that we are worshiping God in this place every single week. We have that freedom. There are countries who do not have those freedoms. And, and we ought to thank God for that. We ought to take advantage of that. How long will that last? I don't know. Things could change tomorrow. We don't know. I mean, you look at the past uh, year and a half. We, don't, we didn't know all that, thing, all that stuff was going to take place. We didn't know everything that was going to happen. But I'll tell you what, we ought to thank God that right now, as it stands, we have the freedom of religion in this country. What The question then arises, what if government goes contrary to the word of God? Go to Acts chapter number 5, and we'll just look at an example of that. Acts chapter number 5. In Acts chapter number 5, we have uh, the Apostle Peter is preaching, and he's been preaching, obviously, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and of course, it, it caused a, a ruckus, and, and people got upset. And listen, sometimes uh, when you preach Jesus, people will get upset about that. That was especially true in, in Peter and Paul's day. I mean, they preached Jesus, and how many times was it that they were thrown in jail or punished? I mean, Paul goes through it. But look here in Acts chapter number 5. And verse number 20, we'll take our, our text here in verse number 26. They've already been, well, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, of backdrop for this. They've already been thrown in jail, and in the middle of the night, I love, I love the book of Acts, it's just incredible. In the middle of the night, their doors open up and they walk out of the jail cells. They just walked right out. It's incredible. The Lord did it. And, uh, and, and then these, these leaders are like, how on earth did these guys get out of jail? We just locked them up yesterday. And they were very cautious, the Bible says, in going to get them. Why? Because they feared the people. The leaders feared the people. And they said, we, we need to get these guys. We need to talk to them. They go, they go and get Peter, and they talk to him again. So this is what's taking place here in verse number 26. And the Bible says, Then went the captain with the officer and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command thee that ye should not teach in, his, in this name? And behold, we have filled, behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Boy, they, they got it straight. I mean, they knew exactly what they were talking about, and they didn't, uh, they had it exactly right. Uh, verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and hanged him on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witness of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And verse number 29, he pretty much clears it up for us, and he says there, uh, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so if the government comes to a point uh, where, they, uh, where they would shut down churches, 
hey, then I believe we have an obligation to go against what the government would say and obey God. I'll give you an example. In the country of China, they're not permitted to gather freely. Um, I, would, I would, in a heartbeat, support a good, a good missionary that is going over there and preaching the gospel. Why? Well, he's going to go against government. Well, yeah, he's going to go against government, but he's obeying God. And, and I've talked, I've met missionaries, I've talked to missionaries in China before, and, and, and I, I'm fascinated with the fact that they are uh, like brother, um, the Brother Reed that we had here not too long ago during our missions month and, and wanting to smuggle Bibles into North Korea. Uh, I am all for that. Why? Because we are for the propagation of the gospel. God has commanded us to get the, 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 the gospel to the lost and dying world. And if governments oppose that, we have an obligation to obey God over the government. But at the same time, we don't have to go uh, um, and, and, what's the right word? We don't have to cause a rebellion in the country and overthrow the government so that we can preach the gospel. Uh, and I want you to notice this too, that these, these apostles, they, they did not deny the claims. Nope, that's what we did. We preached Jesus Christ. And if I'm guilty of that, then lock me up. They weren't trying to, uh, to say, well, I'm not guilty or you can't do that. I mean, they were subject to whatever rules or regulations or punishments that would fall their way, but they were far more obligated to obey God than any other thing. And so I want us just to understand that and praise the Lord. We don't have that um, in this country. Uh, when I was in Peru, they one, one uh, Sunday... Every couple of years, they would hold elections. And on that Sunday, when they held the elections, there was no public gatherings anywhere. And, uh, and that means churches. But it wasn't exclusively churches. They weren't saying, well, churches, you can't meet. It was, there was no public gatherings. And the reason that they would do that is because there were uh, government coups in past who would meet on election days and actually uh, attempt to overthrow the government or interrupt those things. And so they, they made a rule. There was no uh, meeting. Now, one day every couple of years, you know what we did? We didn't have service. I thought... I, Number one, I'm a missionary. I didn't want to get kicked out of the country immediately. But, uh, but number two, I thought, you know what? It is one day. It's across the board. We can live with it. We'll roll with it. And you know what? Next Sunday, we will meet. I didn't like it, but we, we abided by it because it was not against Christians. And sometimes we get up in arms and we're the first ones to say, well, they just did that because we're Christian. No, that's not always true. Sometimes there are blanket regulations that does shut down and we don't like it. Um, but uh, I'm just saying that, hey, he's saying we have an obligation, a responsibility, because God advocates government. I want you to notice back in our text in Romans chapter number 13, not only does God advocate government, God allows rulers. The Bible is very clear here. It says, for there is no power but of God. I find it very interesting throughout Scripture that God deals especially with rulers. And uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the river of, rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. 
We could go back and we could pull example after example out of Old Testament where God would take a king and he would allow him to rule. Matter of fact, he would allow him to go in and overrun a country. How many times did the Philistines come in and God allowed the Philistines to come in and to, to uh, be a thorn in the, in the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel had left what God told them to do. And so we see that God allowed these kings to do those things. And sometimes that's possible uh, throughout, throughout history, even today. And, uh, and so we find that God had uh, ordained and God uh, uh, advocates and God allows the rulers. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 2.13. It says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And so uh, we can see very clearly that here and even in other pieces of Scripture that God has ordained uh, government and God set it up and God advocates and God allows rulers and God is against our disobedience of those rules. Look with me in verse 2, Romans 13, 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And so God will punish uh, those who would go against governmental authority. And, and we've seen in the book of Acts, I, I love that, that, that they did. They were thrown in jail. But I love the fact God opened up the jail doors and they walked right out. And, uh, and there, was, there was no rebel rousing. They, weren't trying, they were just trying to preach the gospel. They were just trying to win the lost. That's what they were trying to do. And we find that uh, God did help them. But listen, if, if you're just going against the grain and against government to cause a problem, then listen, you're breaking God's law and it's sin. That's what the Bible says. Um, it's pretty clear. God is against our disobedience of government. So we see in verse 1 and 2, God ordained uh, the government. In verses 3 through 5, we see the obedience that should be given. Look with me in verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. We take that first part. Uh, for the rulers are not a terror to good works. And, and can I say this? By and large, rulers are not against good people. You understand that? Now, we don't always like everything they do. But if you think about it, laws exist, why? To, to lock up criminals. They don't want you breaking into somebody's house. They don't want you to uh, kill somebody else. They don't want you to do things that are inherently bad. Now, that does not mean we always agree with every law that they put out. That does not mean we necessarily uh, think that everything they, they put out is godly. I've said it many times. God is the one that defines right and wrong. For instance, our government will say, well, it's okay if somebody wants to decide that they're a girl after they're a boy. That's not right by God's law. And so we're not substantiating and saying, well, that's right. No, God has already defined what a man is and what a woman is, and that's the way God made it. And there's no changing that. 
And so we're not saying that uh, the government is always going to define what is right and what's wrong, but they do decree what is allowable and not allowable under their jurisdiction. So we understand that. But, but by and large, they're condoning good works. One of the things I learned, observations I, I made, rather, while I was in Peru is, is that in Peru... To file our paperwork, I mean, but they treated, they treated you like children. They really did. If I went to the bank, and sometimes I had to go to the I dreaded going to the bank. It was just a chore. It was a pain. You don't even understand lines until you've been to a bank in Peru. And, uh, and, and you go and you stand. There's a line out the door. So you stand in line, and, uh, and you got to understand in Peru, I mean, they got guys with machine guns standing at the door. I mean, that's just, it's just kind of intimidating when you first get there. After a while, you actually kind of makes you feel good to have a guy with a machine gun standing there. You know, you think he's not going to shoot you. He's there to protect you and shoot any bad guys. So, uh, but, uh, but you're standing there in line, and, and you wait forever, and, and finally you get up to the door, and, and it's the most absurd system you ever saw in your life. Uh, they've, got a, they've got one big room, you know, one big area, and then they've got seats, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seats, whatever. And when you step in the door, the guard says, you sit right there, and you sit down. And the person at the other end, when, when the clerk gets done, uh, that person gets up and goes. And then that person moves down one seat, and that person moves down one seat, and that person moves down one seat, and then I move down one seat. And I'm like, I am not in first grade. This is so annoying that I have to sit here and chair hop. And, and you know what? I didn't feel like getting up and sw switching seats. I just wanted to sit there. But, but it doesn't matter. They're like, you get up and you move down. The same thing when we go to the government building to file our paperwork and we're standing in this, it's a huge room. It's probably, it's longer than our auditorium and the pews in the two middle sections it had a whole group of seats like that. And, and you go in and you sit at the back at the, wherever the end of the line is. And as they call people up and they send them up, same thing, the whole chair hopping business. You hop over, you hop over, you hop over. I mean, it's just, it's kind of absurd. But you had to follow all of that. Then I went to Italy, and Italy was like, man, they're just, take a number, get in line. Whenever your number comes up, that's when you go find a seat. And, you, and, and actually, most of them, like in the post office, I dreaded going to the post office. Again, lines and again waiting, and I had to go to the post office to do some stuff. And, and so you go to the post office, and you're sitting there, and, uh, and you're waiting. They didn't, their number machine was always broke. So, so when you walk in, you're like, who was the last one? And some guy raises your hand. You look at him, okay, i, I got to remember him after that guy. And you sit there, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and, and then and sometimes that guy would leave. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't know, I don't know where I'm at in line, because I don't even know who was next. And, and, and they, they didn't regulate your every movement. And one of the things that I, I realized is that when, uh, when, they, when they treat you like children, they tend to behave like children. When they treat you like adults, you tend to behave like an adult. Um, that's just kind of one of my observations that I noticed, and they did. They very much so treated you like children in Peru and uh, in many of the legitimate establishments. I mean, government offices and, and post office and things like that. But I'm just saying that uh, 
the Bible says the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Even though it drove me crazy the way they handled stuff in Peru, it wasn't that they, they thought we were bad. They just thought they had to control everything. And some governments think they have to control every little thing. You remember our missionary, he was talking about you cannot travel from town A to town B without filing paperwork so that you can go from one town to another. But they, they're not doing that uh, because they hate Christians. They do that because they're controlling everything. And, and they think it's their responsibility uh, to control everything. I don't, it's just my personal opinion. Government doesn't need to be that controlling or that involved. But my point is this. They're trying the best they can to watch out for their people. We need to understand that. Government is not always inherently against Christianity. There are some that are against Christianity. I realize that. But by and large, they are not. And our government, by and large, is not. Do they go against God? Yes, they go against God. Do they go against God's command? Yes, they go against God's command. But they're not, by and large, against Christianity and the freedom of our religion and us doing what we're supposed to do. And so he's saying here, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. In other words, if you simply live your life properly and you follow the rules and you obey the things that the government tells us to do, you know what? You're not going to have a problem with the government. When the government comes and crosses where God says you need to do something, then you may have a problem with the government. But, but right now, uh, we simply don't. And so, by and large, so we need to understand that that uh, the government is there uh, to condone good works. In verse number four, we see that he's the minister of God, and uh, and they have the 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 backing of God to discipline uh, or to chastise or to punish um, crimes. I mentioned this morning in Sunday the adult Sunday school class. Could you imagine our society if uh, if we didn't have any uh, any police to enforce? traffic regulations. Could you imagine if there's no speed limits uh, signs, there were no stop signs, there were no uh, stoplights? I mean, it would be utter chaos on the street. And I promise you, I would drive more than 25 miles an hour because that just, I, I have a hard time going that slow. But, but you know what? When, when the police are there, why? Not because they're against me. They're trying to maintain order and they have the backing to, of God to punish those who break those laws. And it goes higher. Uh, the government has a responsibility to, uh, to punish those who break laws. And so we see that very clearly here in verse number four. In verse number five, I want to I mention this because it's really interesting. The Bible says, Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. I love this verse. It's interesting to me. A couple months ago I, I did a study on the conscience in the Bible. It was when one of my Sunday school lessons, I believe, and, and I was actually quite surprised at how often conscience shows up in the Bible. 
And, uh, and the Bible says this in 1 Timothy 1, 9. Or let's even look at our text here in Romans 13 and verse number 5. Uh, for conscience sake. In other words, that you in your own mind would know, you know what, I'm doing what is right and everything between me and God is good. And there's no problem. That's conscience sake, that in our mind we would know we are living right. In 1 Timothy 1.19, uh, Paul writes Timothy and he says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, have, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He goes on in 1 Timothy 3.9, Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. In 1 Timothy 4, 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Listen, there's, there are those uh, who really have no conscience. I mean, they have cut it off. They've done so wickedly. They live such a wicked life that it just does not bother them to do what's wrong. And God's saying, listen, we ought not only just obey our government because of the fear of, the, of the, the ticket that we might get or thrown in jail or the punishment that may be dished out by the government, but also for sake of a good conscience before God. That we can say, you know what, I know I've done what's right and God, and between me and God, we're clear. We don't have a problem. And so he's saying that we ought to obey, not just because of the chastisement that the, the government can dish out, but because of the conscience sake. And listen, as Christians, we ought to have a God-fearing conscience. We should not have a, a seared conscience that's been cut off by doing wrong. And so we have obedience that we ought to obey. We have the ordination of government by God that he's ordained it and established it. And, and look with me in verse number 6 and 7. This is kind of apropos, I did not plan this, but uh, verse number 6, for, for for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so we have an obligation to pay our taxes. Isn't it almost April 15th? I didn't plan that. I didn't sit down and say, man, I'm going to write out my messages so that I hit Romans chapter 13 right before April 15th. I'm not that organized. But, but it's true. The Bible says, hey, pay tribute. That question when they asked Jesus, shall we render to Caesar? That which is Caesar's. You know what Jesus told his disciple? He said, hey, I want you to go down to the, uh, to the ocean and the first fish you catch, I want you to grab it and open his mouth and there'll be a coin and I want you to take and give that to pay our taxes. Jesus paid his taxes. I wish Jesus would pay my taxes like that. I wish I could go fishing and, uh, and I could pull out the fish and, and have all the money I need to pay my taxes, but it doesn't work like that. But I'm just saying that, uh, that hey, we have uh, a legitimate obligation before God to pay taxes to the government that we live under. And we do live in, under, in America, so therefore we are to pay taxes in America. I'm glad I didn't have to pay taxes in Peru. Praise the Lord for that. That would have been a disaster. I did know missionaries in England, and they, uh, they had to pay taxes in America. And while I was overseas, I had to pay taxes in America, but usually I was, it didn't matter. I didn't make enough, so uh, I didn't have, owe anything. But, uh, but they had to pay taxes in America, but then they had to pay taxes in England as well. 
and, uh, and they, there was their obligation. And so the Bible tells us, hey, uh, render tribute or pay, pay ye tribute, um, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Now that's not to say that every king is an honest servant of God. If you go back and read the Old Testament, you know that's not true. Some of them are greedy. Some of them are wrong. Some of them lead wrong lives. But that doesn't mean God's not in control. That doesn't mean that God's not able to require of them what he will require or the, that, that he's not given them the leash that he has given them. And sometimes God is allowing a greater purpose than we are able to see. And sometimes because of a nation's own wickedness, God allows a, a wicked king to come into power. And you say, okay, where are we at? Listen, where we're at in America right now I don't know that God wouldn't allow a wicked king to come into a power in America. I mean, look at, look at how we've done. As a Christian, we, we can and we should be involved. I was going to, I had this earlier in my notes, I missed it. But we can and we should be involved in our government, not, not rebel rousing, not causing problems, but saying, pushing and advocating, saying, hey, we don't want abortions to take place in our state. That's, we have a legitimate right and a legitimate place as Christians to respectfully and rightfully say, we don't want those things to take place. Uh, and we ought to. We ought to be involved in that extent. We ought to say uh, we're not interested in this uh, whole gender issue that, that God created a man and a woman and that God defined marriage as between a man and a woman. And, and that's what the Bible says. And we have, a, we have a right as Christians to voice our opinions and to sway, because that's the way our government is set up, to sway those that are in power to say, hey, we as the constituents under your, your jurisdiction, we don't want this. And you need to vote against it because we are not for it. And if they don't vote against for it, vote them out. Find somebody that will stand for what's right. Because we have an obligation as Christians, and, and we ought to. And that's not going against the Word of God. That's how our government was set up. That is our, our rights as a citizen in this country. We have every right to do that. And that's not being a, a rebel rouser. That is just voicing our opinion and stating what we believe emphatically is the Word of God and comes from a higher authority, which is God. And so we have every right to do that. But we don't have a right to withhold our taxes. We don't have a right uh, to, to cheat government or to do this or to go about it in a wrong way. We must go about it in a right way. And we must honor the government because as God said, as the Bible says, God set them up as the government. And, uh, and so I believe that's important. Look with me in, in the second part of chapter, verse number 6. He says, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. It is, it is an incredible job to govern anything. And the more governing you have to do, the more responsibility it becomes. And I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be a politician. I wouldn't want to be a governor. I wouldn't want to be in those shoes because, man, I don't know that I could do it all, to be honest with you. And there is pressure and there is, uh, there is war like you would not even imagine 
trying to trap some of those people and cause them to fall and cause them to mess up in their life. And I'm just saying that's why the government said, or God's word says, hey, they're, they're continually watching. They're not all good, no. They're not all right, that's for sure. But, but God has placed them there and we have an obligation to pray for them. We have an obligation to respect and honor the authority that, of the office that they have been given. And so uh, I believe that this is very clear and God made it very clear and Paul made it very clear for the church that was there in, in Rome. And, uh, and I don't think it's a very uh, obscure passage. I believe it's very clear. And that as a Christian, he goes back in chapter 12 and he says, Christians ought to live well with other Christians. And then he says, Christians ought to live well with unbelievers, even when they attack. And he says, as much as is, uh, is possible, live peaceably with every man. And then he goes in the government realm and he says, hey, that as Christians, we are to be subject to the government and subject to the authority that they have. And so he's kind of giving us uh, how we are to live our life as Christians in a world. It's a very practical uh, set of, of verses and application here in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. And so I hope and pray that that is a help, uh, a blessing to you. And, uh, and be thankful, thank God, that we live in America. And pray and work and vote that we can keep our freedoms and that, that God's will will be done. Because God, hey, the Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation and sin is a reproach to many people. So we have an obligation to try and maintain righteousness in this country. And if we don't do it, I can promise you they're not going to. If we don't do it, then nobody is, and, and it's not going to go well. It's all going to go down the tubes, and it's not going to end well. And you don't think that's true? Look at where England's at. Look at where the other countries in Europe were that were godly nations sending missionaries out and serving the Lord, and they're, they're not known for that anymore. Um, they're, they're struggling countries, and they're, they're having their own problems. And so I'm just saying, hey, praise the Lord that we do live in America. Praise the Lord we have the freedoms, and may we pray and work and vote to try and maintain those things, and we do have an obligation uh, to obey our government. All right, let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as we're reminded that we are to be in obedience and compliance with our government, and God, there are sometimes things that we don't like or we don't disagree with or we, we don't agree with. God, I pray that you'd help us to take into action to change that we can, those things that we are able to change. And God, I pray that you'd give us the grace to go the thing, through the things that we are not able to change. And God, I pray that you'd help our government to establish righteousness and to get back to what is right. God, there's a, a great movement even across America to rectify many things that have been wrong in our country for a long time that go against your word. And God, I do pray that you would help each and every Christian and each and every person to stand up and voice their opinion respectively in the proper channels. And God, I pray that we would see a turning of the direction of the wickedness that has been embraced in our country. 
God, I pray that you would just help us as Christians to realize we have an obligation to speak out and to let others know. God, I pray that you'd help us also to live in, as the Bible says, as uh, best we can in peace with our, our country and with our government. Help us to live right and follow you. And Father, we'll thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have just a short hymn of invitation, if God spoke into your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to take a moment and pray for our government. Pray for our governor. Pray for our president. Pray for our vice president. Pray for our rulers. Pray for our Supreme Court. Pray that God will, will, will turn back some of those decisions that have been made and that, uh, that we wouldn't allow abortions to go forward. We wouldn't allow uh, all this craziness that is completely against God's work. As the piano plays, maybe you just want to thank him because truly we do have religious freedom in our country. I ought to thank him for that. to a close. Again, I appreciate you.